you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut to it, cut to it, let's get down to it, cut to it. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. Huh? Cut to it, cut to it. I love our theme song, man. Really? We never really talk about that. We got Anthony Hamilton yeah. on our track. Man, that's cool. It's super cool. Well, but why did you try to uh, sing it, though? Hey, I just felt like that. Oh, okay. you know, sometimes Don't you... do that again. No, no, no. sir. <laughs> You're not going to box me in. I'm not going to be boxed in. <laughs> We're fresh <laughs> off of February. You're not boxing me in. Listen, <laughs> what, you, what, what you did not hit, I want to box you in. <laughs> You ain't my hit, vocal, my you, vocal ability. You ain't hit nerd. You ain't hit nerd. Nerd. You a hater. You a hater. No, I'm not a hater. I, yeah, you is. I, actually, yeah, you yes, because my ears <laughs> hate to hear that. My ears love Eddie proceed, Hamilton. Proceed. What you got on your docket today? Oh, so let me tell you what happened to me. I'm telling you. I, there are sometimes I just sit back and giggle. 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 You a grown man giggling? Oh, it's be, <laughs> it's some giggly stuff out there now. All right. What's All right. That? So. Agent 89, just, you know, Steve goes out, out into the world. Okay. I got to buy some stuff. All right. Got the honeydew list. So, um, you know, driving around Charlotte, looking for some some items. And wife said, hey, we should look at this. And so I go to a store. Mm-hmm. We're going to buy it. All right. I send her a picture, do the measuring. 
It fits. Okay. It's on sale. It's always a good thing. That's my combination. It's right always a good thing. It fits and sale. Boom. Right. Right. As they say, you know, in the mobster business, bada bing, bada bang. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was buying a freezer. Right. 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 So, so the gentleman who helped me, what was his name? Um, the guy that helped me. I, I was say, that's not in, don't indict him. Yeah, don't no, indict no. Him. He was actually, he was really helpful. Okay. Dude was extremely okay. helpful. So I was like, hey, can we measure this? I just need, I'm getting a freezer um, for the garage. I need to see how deep the, the freezer is to see. And because... You know, looking online, you it doesn't really have. I mean, you know, you get measurements, but it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. You got an eye test, right? So I look. Okay, perfect. I said, all right, I got to load this up in my car. So can we just take it out of the box? Just be easier, right? He's like, all right, we could do that. Okay, take it out of the box. So I pay for it, and I pay for it in the area. Got the receipt. The guy uh, staples his. Card on there is, hey, if you need anything else, come to me. Absolutely. Took care of you. He took care of you. Took care. He was excellent. What a smile. I had a great time. He had a great time. And we chit-chat a little bit. Boom. So, mind my business. And this is where it gets interesting. Okay. You got the little flat bed, uh, and so I'm pushing it, going through. And so I got on sweatpants and sweatshirt and a hat and a, I'm in public, mask. Okay. So I go, I go past the little scanner things that you can scan and, you know, the self-checkout. So, yeah, yeah. So I, but I pay for it. Okay. Got the receipt in hand. I know who I am. Right. Meaning, not Steve Smith, but guy, individual, person. You're black. I'm black. Yeah. yeah. Let's, go, let's, yeah. let's put the cars on the table. Yeah, I'm black. <laughs> right. So I go in there. This woman... Says, can I help you? Mm-hmm. On your way out. On my way out. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. And that's how I said it. No. Now, when she says, can she help me? She has now stepped in front of the flatbed mm-hmm. that has this freezer on it. Can I help you? I said, no. Oh. Well, do you have a receipt? I said, I know where this is going. I said, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you going to let me see it? Mm-hmm. I said, well, you didn't ask. Mm-hmm. You said, do I need help? Right. You to- totally you- different question. Yeah. I, I know I went to public school. Mm-hmm. Utah's not killing them in the Yale department. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes, it's the same thing. Uh, not really, but okay. No, not okay. Right. And not really. I said, you didn't ask me if I pay for it or can I see the receipt. You said, do I need help? And I didn't need help. Mm-hmm. Well, I was asking you the same thing, so you, sh- you should know the difference. And in my head, I'm going, you should know the difference because help. And receipt on the alphabets are pretty different. Uh-huh. H and R. Right. 
So you've already paid for it. You're trying to make your way out. Yes. She's basically has walked herself in front of the No, she hadn't walked. She stopped well, she, and said, you know, can I help you? I said, no, ma'am. I said, mm-hmm. no. Well, let me see the receipt. I said, here's a receipt. And so now she's trying to prove your purchase as well. Yeah, she's, she's trying, trying to prove, prove your purchase. Which is nothing wrong with proving Correct. your purchase. Correct. But then now you mad at me mm-hmm. because the way you asked me was she profiled me. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got. Not racially profiled. I just got profiled. Let me see if this. Let me see if he's telling the truth. Yes. Yeah. You want to hear the. That's still profiling. Yes. You yeah. want to hear the best thing about it? What? She never even looked at the receipt. Mm. Because the freezer and what it was scanned, it's not visible anymore. All the SKU numbers were on the box mm-hmm. that the salesman has. Mm-hmm. And so now she has an attitude with me standing in front of the flatbed mm-hmm. with a freezer on it. Do you think, did she think you'd be that bold to get a freezer off the shelf, unbox it, put it on a flatbed, and just walk smooth out of this retail establishment? I like to use the word waltz. <laughs> waltz. <laughs> However you want it, jaywalk, <laughs> moonwalk, uh, electric slide. And what, what, bother, what bothered me more than anything is how she approached me as if like I was in the wrong. And I understood. She's got to do her job. she got to do her job. But don't say, right. can I help you? And then tell me mm-hmm. that helping and let me see the receipt is the exact same thing. Right. When it's clearly not. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, then she had an attitude with me. Well, have a nice day. Right. Now, if I would have ran her Scott over with that flatbed <laughs> in that freezer. Then it'd be headlines. Right. Assault. Right. With a deadly weapon. Right. right. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just, and what it brought it up to me is there's been times that I've also looked extremely tacky walking into a, into a designer purse store to buy something. And you, you got questioned? Oh. Mm. Hey, how much, uh, can I see that bag? Oh, yes, it's such and such. Yeah, yeah. They love to give you the price first, yeah. don't they? And here's my problem with the price of a person that's in a designer store, mm-hmm. you behind the register. Yeah. You are gathering that product to show me. Right. Your name ain't Louie or Tom. <laughs> <laughs> right. You work for them. And, and I walked in here. Right. Yes. So clearly I have some sort of even if maybe, I, may, but and, I'm but thinking about it. But it's not that person's place to make that distinction. No, I'm, I'm either. I, all they know is that's a customer. Y- yes, right. Now, I'm a tacky customer. I don't. But it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, doesn't. But I've walked in. I, I, I'm giving them an out. I've walked into a Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. Gucci store, mm-hmm. right? Wearing sweatpants, house shoes, and a hood and a hat. Yep. Looking like. I just strolled out of bed. Mm-hmm. But to assume that someone does not have it, they obviously are pondering mm-hmm. it or thinking mm-hmm. about making that purchase. Mm-hmm. So why are you going to base off the way they look? At least going to... Profile? Discredit <laughs> or or take away yeah. from them thinking about making that purchase. Right. Because usually when you go in those stores, you don't go in those stores. You know you go in that store... A wallet in that place is $1,000, right? $500. So when you go in that store, you go in that store going, if I buy this, I need to make sure it's the right choice. Correct. 
And I went to this department store, or I went to this store, and the lady profiled me, and, mm-hmm. I, and I literally got out of the car. I lifted the freezer in the, in the trunk and drove off, and I stopped, you know, and yeah. I got at the red light. Started I was processing like, it. I said, man, I got profiled. Yep. And how often that happens, right? Like, I've, I've been plenty of times, I've been to stores, and I get followed around, or I get asked to you, much like what you just described, I'm walking in a store, and I ask to see something, and they say, oh, well, this isn't on sale. Well, how do you, I could have cash in my pocket to, to buy the whole thing. I've done that before, right? So, to automatically say, well, oh, as if the microaggression is, oh, well, you can't, you can't afford, you can't be able to. To afford it, this. it was more than anything is how she tried to flip it on me yeah. as if me being a little bit apprehensive mm-hmm. was in the wrong and she was asking me all the right questions. Right. She wasn't asking me all the right questions. Right. right. Maybe I, I one day I'm gonna get dressed to go up in there and just like <laughs> put on a full suit. Just See what happens then. Just put on a full <laughs> suit. Can I help you? No, you cannot help me. <laughs> I'm looking for the I'm looking for the CBA C, CPA department. <laughs> that's the, that's how you combat it. Self-identify as something completely different. Self-identify. I, I identify, identify as a person who's getting everything in here for free. <laughs> that's how we combat profiling. That's what I'm gonna do. Right. I'm gonna walk around demanding discounts. I love it. I you love think it. it'll work? No, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right, who we got? Coming up on the Cut to It podcast, we've got Ronaldo Nehemiah, former world record holder in track and field in the hurdles, a wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers in the 80s, and he's currently a sports agent for athletics managers. Ronaldo Nehemiah on the Cut to It podcast. Let's go. Here we so go, Neam. Our, our, our first segment, Ronaldo, is called Get I'm Iced Up. I'm kind of hyped right yeah, now, he, though. He, okay. he, 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 you really, need Iced Up. I'm really hyped, though. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand how hyped I am <laughs> to, to do this sit down. So, All right. So it's Let's called Get, get Iced it. Up. It's, it's our version of Icebreakers. So uh, okay. you, you know all about this. So I'm not going to uh, wait any longer. Smitty, go ahead and give him the first question. All right. There are going to be questions. It is an open book test. It is about you. So okay. if you fail, it is your fault. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. What does success look like for you? So success to me means that uh, you know when I'm walking uh, through the mall and someone whispers, "That's Ronaldo Nehemiah," and the second thing they talk about is that I was a a good guy or a humble guy, more so than what I did on the field to play. So that means that. I feel that my mission was accomplished because uh, hmm. I said earlier, if that's all you're talking about is what I did as an athlete, then I, I failed to actually let people know who I really was because athletics is what I did. It wasn't who I was. I like that. I like that. If you knew today, today was your last day of your life, what would you spend it doing? I would spend it with uh my immediate family, my daughters, wife, as many of my immediate family as possible, my brother, my sister, everyone. Mm. I would be around everyone that I love and that loves me. Mm. I like that. Mm. All right, let's get to something a little bit less serious. 
Uh, what's in your fridge right now? It's stocked. I just got back from Whole Foods a couple hours ago. So it's uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> lots it's of uh, fruits and berries and salads and uh, fresh uh, wild-caught fish. Uh, I, so, okay, hold on. I always want to ask this question. How do you know it's fresh cut, uh, fresh caught, wild-caught fish if, if it's in the grocery store? Yeah, Steve, I've like been that. I've been debating that with my wife. Since I'm <laughs> That's just packaging because you know she's Miss Organic, and you know I usually just buy stuff, and yeah. she's like, "Is it wild caught?" And I'm like, "What does that mean?" You know, like they can say that, but yeah, I didn't see them catch it. Yeah. You know, it's been in a refrigerator freezer yeah. before I knew it. So I don't know. It just All we're right. buying labels, and you know we're. Clyde and sinker, no pun intended. We're just caught. So I go in there and everything. You know, when I come home, my wife knows after this many years that it's it's organic, number one. And yeah. then she doesn't even have to ask me if it's wild caught because I just look at her sideways, like, yes, you know it is. Because yeah. somebody caught it. Yeah. Somebody caught it. You know, yeah. somebody, didn't walk here. Hey, somebody right. fish though. They now they have like fish farms. Uh-huh. Yeah, fresh, fresh farmed and all these other terms. It, yeah, but it's 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 literally just like our, our, our vegetables. You, they go up there and go, oh, I caught James. Yeah. He's wild caught. <laughs> they be throwing in Ronaldo's refrigerator. <laughs> I, uh, do you have any nicknames? Yes, I had one up until I became a Niner. My nickname was Skeets. What? And uh, S-K-E-E-T-S, Skeets. Skeets. Uh, when I was a little kid, you know what a skeet at a rifle range is? When they say pull and mm-hmm. the skeet. Yeah. And I crawled really fast so that my real name is Skeetsy within the family. Wow. And then uh, for years, I was Ronaldo Skeets Nehemiah, and they called me Skeets because it was less formal than Ronaldo. Mm. And then I remember my first day signing with the Niners in 82, I decided I was old enough to be called Ronaldo and get rid of the kid name. And I've been Ronaldo ever since. So unless you're close to my age or a fan, you wouldn't even know Skeets. My wife didn't even know who Skeets was. We always get a nickname, don't we? Yeah, we do. I don't we know why. Always. So as a kid, what was your favorite sports team in any sport? Wow, I grew up a Jet fan, Joe Namath. And, hmm. and then I was a, uh, it's real weird, and I was a Met fan with Tommy Agee. Uh, it's kind of weird combination. Usually you're, you know, you're not a, a Jet and a Met fan. You're, you know, you're a Met and a Giants fan or something. Yeah. But, but yeah. I was a Met and a Jet fan. Yeah. And I'm you from need- New Jersey. So, okay, you know, where are you from in a place you call your hometown? I'm from a little uh, parochial town called Scotch Plains, uh, New Jersey, which is uh, probably 45 minutes south of Manhattan. Okay. Tell me the landmark. Tell me something. That you would identify with? Newark, Plainfield, New Jersey, Newark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just uh, below Newark, about 30 minutes south of Newark. All right. So growing up there, um, how did that how, how did it shape your perspective on the world today? Because you've been through a lot. You've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. Um, that it, place has has it, it started you. Yeah, it was it was interesting, Steve. Ooh, um, tell. Um, I'm I was the first. <laughs> I was the first uh, black quarterback at my school. Wow. Uh, I was the first black homecoming king at my school. Uh, the town next to us was Clark. And over the weekends, uh, our parents forbade us to go over there because there was a Ku Klux Klan activity wow. over that way. Um, and so 
you know, team sports kind of insulates you from a lot of that because true then and true today, as long as you're winning, you know, they tolerate whatever you might look like. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess I was privileged because I had an abundance of talent and was doing things that brought attention to my team. I didn't feel it within my school. We had uh, um, probably about 12, 1300 people in the school and maybe about 250 plus of people of color. But um, yeah, being the, uh, one of the star athletes in the school system, you know, you know how that goes. Uh, I was insulated to some degree, but it was on the periphery. So I knew it was around and, you know, here we are in 2020 and, you know, it's still around. Mm. So. Now, do you go back, you know, to your hometown any? Uh, I, I, let's see. Um, yes and no. I haven't been back uh, as far as regularly visiting. Uh, both my parents are deceased. And my parents are buried in my in my town, Hillside Cemetery. I was just there a week ago visiting because they put out the winter wreaths. But that's the closest I really get to my hometown. I pass through it on the way to New York, you know, on, on occasion for different events. But most of my family, immediate families, are no longer there. Uh, some are in Plainfield, but most of them moved out of the state. So I don't, I have some friends, obviously, and go back for my, my high school reunions and all that. So, yeah. That's the only connection. Well, um, you know, we talked about, you, you talked about your parents, man. Um, you had an earth shattering event at the age of 14. Uh, mm -hmm. You walk us through and tell us what happened. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid and your mom, in this case, my mom was sick and I just thought she was sick. Uh, I didn't really understand the implications and the severity of, of cancer. My mother uh, suffered through both, uh, lung and breast cancer. I guess the lung cancer first filtered into the breast. My mother used to smoke uh, cools. And I remember used to go into the store to fire the cools, not knowing the effects of it. And, you know, watching, uh, witnessing, you know, one mastectomy, then the second mastectomy, hmm. and then she's bedridden. I was the oldest of three. So I was the closest to her. And she, my mom groomed me years in advance. You know, she was sick for about five plus years. And you know, she taught me how to cook and sew. And I was an inquisitive kid anyway, so I wanted to know all these things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was coming home from football practice one day in ninth grade, 1973, and going to the, the local store that we used to go to just before we got home. And some kid that I didn't even know came up to me and said, hey, Skeetsy, they said your mom is dead. Mm. And I remember that empty, instant feeling that I had in my stomach. And I dropped, I dropped the cupcakes and whatever I had in my hand. And I lived about three blocks from the store and I just ran all the way home because I knew my mom had, was sick and I get there and I see all these different cars around our home. So I knew something is up. And then when I come in, I see family members and then my father takes me to my room and tells me what happened and uh, that my mother had passed. And my mom, those last two years, she, she we had a uh, live-in nurse because uh, she wanted to be with her children, you know, all the way to the end. And, you know, as a youngster, 12, 13 years old, 14 years old, you still thinking that, you know, mom is going to be there. You don't understand death at that point. And so that was my first time experiencing it. And as the oldest, I think I kind of was numb to the pain of the loss. And, uh, you know, I've for years used to tell my friends when I see them speaking back to their mom, say, hey, man, 
you need to cherish your mom because you don't ever want to feel the loss of a mom. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I had to grow up very quickly at 14. You know, my father was working and then I was the, like a surrogate mom to my brother who was a year and a half younger and my sister who was five years younger. And um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And I grew up fast. I mean, I had to be really mature. My teen years at that point, all the way to college, I kind of skipped by them as far as being a teenager. I was a young adult, you know, through circumstances. We have to take a break, and more than anything, we got to pay some bills. Mm-hmm. Need that check. I love Cut To It, and I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media, too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook? Cut To It featuring Steve Smith Sr., what about online? And you can follow us at cuttoitpodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers questions. Um, yeah. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cuttoitpodcast.com. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. You play football, but obviously you ran a little bit of track. Track became my, my real love. My first love was football. Okay. My father introduced me to it. Um, I loved football. Uh, I became I was I became quarterback uh, because we had an injury to a quarterback, and I could quarterback. I was a wide receiver, but we needed a quarterback, so that's why I played quarterback. Um, and then I would have probably played in college had I graduated a little bigger. 
you know, I was five, nine, maybe five, 10, 155 pounds soaking wet as a senior. Hmm. And, uh, when I had chosen Maryland, um, they were more of a running team at that time. And so I was like, well, there's no need for me to go through trying to play football, but yeah, my first love has always been football. My father was kind of surprised when I picked uh, going to college to, to run track over football. Um, but then as I started, you know, ascending through the ranks, you know, internationally and globally, mm-hmm. um, my father and the rest of my family all of a sudden learned the sport of track. Hold on. Hold on now. You glossed over a word. <laughs> globally. Internationally. Yes. 18 uh, years break, of break, age. Break, break, break that down because, you know, we usually talk about internationally, globally, uh, you know, Steph, Michael, LeBron. Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah. When you're traveling, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm looking Germany down, and <laughs> all these different places, you as know, a kid, as a, well, yeah, as a teenager, wow. you can't speak the language. You know, the food is horrible. They whoa, have, whoa, whoa. They have Some machine the guns, communist countries, they have machine yeah. guns, Poland, where you can't go out of your mm-hmm. hotel without a passport. Mm. And uh, it's, say, though. yeah, it's very ominous and uh i'm sitting up there going what i don't even understand these people i don't know what they're saying i don't know what their food is i really just want to go home mm. uh i don't i felt like uh one of the uh what's the rocky when he says i must break you <laughs> that's why i felt those foreigners would be looking at us mm. you know like uh they had this stoic look the russians look one way all the time <laughs> looking like they're looking through you not at you and uh i'm like okay well let's let's tie these up and get it get it going but um and it was tough being away from home time change uh understanding commands and their language you know you have to practice hearing only thing i knew was two commands whatever it was the second one was set and i knew there was a gun on the third one so i didn't really care what they said i watched everybody get in the blocks and then i knew the next one was set and then i was waiting for the gun and uh yeah so, so. you had to so at these track meets in different countries you had to learn the different commands in those different, different languages. Every country you went to, yes, you did. Wow. And you go to someone and they say, okay, it's going to be this command. And I'm like, I don't even know what that, what are they saying? And they <laughs> said, well, you know, as first one, it's always on your marks. I said, okay. So I, I know want everybody one. getting the marks. And then once we're in our marks and you, you know, you settle down, I know the next one has to be set. <laughs> so I hope, <laughs> yeah, I like, hope you know, like, and I'd, ra- I'd raise up. And then I just wait for the gun. You know, a couple of times I got tricked a little bit because they would be saying, uh, stand up, stand up, you know, and I'm taking off, you know, I'm like, okay. So mm. that meant somebody wasn't ready or somebody was moving. So they're telling us to stand up so we can do it again. But I got it down after probably about three races or so, but uh, it was always in a different language. So I never really tried to learn the language. They tell us in the, in the pre-race meeting the night before, but, I was like, okay, I just listened to the cadence. Okay. So you're running track at Maryland. This, when did it become international? Yeah, when did it yeah. become international for you? Take take us through that process. Because there, and the reason I say there's a lot of people who just don't know how big track and field is. Yeah, it's a global. And how much of a star you are. Yeah, when you run, you're in front of 50,000 plus in Europe, you know, and I was like, whoa. I mean, I was you know, putting it bluntly, I was a rock star in Europe and unknown in my own country. I was 18 year old, year old, I ran against the, the Russian USA meet. And, um, you know, my first time, uh, the 
even in high school, the international prep meet uh, at, in Champaign, not Champaign, but it was in Chicago and people from all around the world, Australia, everywhere. And um, that was my first taste of running international competition, even though it was on U.S. soil. Um, and then when I ran the U.S. versus uh, USSR meet against the Russians, I was uh, just going into my freshman year, into my uh, senior year in high school. How does track... We, you know, you play, you play for the San Francisco 49ers. Mm -hmm. You've lived, a, you, you've lived a lot of life. Mm -hmm. When you go back and think about what you were doing at 18, representing mm -hmm. your country, representing your country. That's and then crazy. you, and then you see what college kids are doing in basketball and football. Mm -hmm. You would assume and think that you know, being on that stage, how, how glorified, high, highlight hoops on Instagram, all that stuff. But you're doing some things that you were doing this before LeBron became LeBron. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so it's so funny. I always tell people because, you know, all, people always want to know what you did at what age. And I always tell everybody that uh, don't follow my path because only God knows my path mm -hmm. and bless me with my gift because uh my high school, my ninth grade was in my junior high school. So I didn't go to high school till 10th grade. That started high school. Mm -hmm. And in my 10th grade year, I was at hot shot junior high kid coming to high school. And I got hurt during winter track running a shuttle hurdle relay, ripped the bone, the muscle right off the bone in my hamstring. Mm -hmm. And I did not run again till spring of junior year. Yeah. It wasn't until we got found the Jets orthopedic surgeon who diagnosed my injury. So from 10th grade until springtime, junior year was the first time I was able to run in high school. And the first time I ran in high school that season, I tied the state record and ran 13-6. In the hurdles. In the hurdles. And then my second year running in high school, which hold is on, my senior on, on, on. year. High I, hurdles? I, yeah, high hurdles. I broke the national record and ran 12-9. How tall were you? Coming off of a major hamstring injury. yeah yeah i was five five nine okay. but but I, I did gymnastics and all that i mean we did cross training before it was officially acknowledged as cross training mm -hmm. we did all these different sports so gymnastics giving me core strength and flexibility mm -hmm. uh, i could do a russian split you know i had i had a 35 inch inseam 34 and a half inch inseam so i was long legged short short torso and so mm -hmm. that was ideal for the hurdles and um yeah so i had a year and a half in high school and in a year and a half, I ran 13.6 and 12.9. So I broke the national record, broke all these records. And so when I tell people, don't use my chronology because it doesn't make sense. You know, I ran, check this out. I ran 15.3 in ninth grade, galloping three-step hurdles. Then I got hurt. Man, and then I ran 13.6 and 12.9. So I always tell people that's God intervening in my life yeah, saying that. No you know, and knowing how badly I wanted it. And then my greatest gift guys, and I tell people this all the time, I had this uncanny ability to take words and put them into imagery. So my coaches were always older than me and they couldn't do what they were asking me to do because they were older and they weren't the athlete that I was, but I could take the words and turn them into visual images, meditate on those in my head and either right then within five minutes or the next day, replicate what they said exactly hmm. and i can make these adjustments and they used to tell me all the time i don't know how you can do this but i said your words are images to me i see it but i was i loved hurdling i came alive with hurdling i could sprint 
but hurling was it just it was a rush that I couldn't explain going over something you know being imbalanced for a few hundreds of a second and still coming back down on the other side and continuing to run and pull away from people that was man how, how did you get into hurling is it something that a coach suggested to you is it something that you just saw and emulated and wanted to be a part of <laughs> We had a split rail fence around our home. We lived on a corner and I was always running and jumping over the fence, you know, running from my friends, my brothers and everybody. And then one day in 1975, I had the TV on and Rod Milburn was mm -hmm. running over the hurdles. And it was the first time I saw something that was similar to what I was doing. And it was called the hurdles. And I was like, oh, my God, they actually have an event like this. I can do this. And I, and I was just engrossed in it and watched his brother just do his thing. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. Mm. And then in ninth grade, everybody was afraid to hurdle. And I was the only one that stood up and said, I'll try it because I had done it all the time. So it wasn't something that was foreign to me. I didn't know how to do it in a, an actual track environment, but I knew I ran and jumped all the time. So I said, I'll try that. It looks like what I do at home. Please mm. tell me and Describe for us the difference between football speed and world-class speed, because you hear Tariq Hill, he's world-class speed. He was going 21 miles per hour, hmm. but football speed and track speed is totally different. I feel track speed is that, that speed where you get scared. You don't know who it is. So you just take <laughs> off. And then when you turn around, you realize you, you didn't hit a, a gear that you've never experienced before. That's an upper echelon. <laughs> it's, yes. it's funny you say that, Steve, because I used to tell people when I used to race over hurdles, I always told myself while racing, this is no lie, that someone was coming to get me. They're mm. coming to get me. Oh, and and that... I would run like a bat out of hell. Sometimes <laughs> I always surprise myself, mm -hmm. you know, that I ran so hard. And But, yeah, it's I don't mean to insult any. Well, insult no, no you podcast. ain't got to apologize. We can do whatever we want to do. But, but like I'm them. so tired over Ooh, the years. talk. Let me sit back. Saying, Let me sit back in the chair. Buckle up, Smitty. You know, whether it's RG3 or whoever has world-class speed, I said, you don't even know what world-class speed is. You've mm -hmm. never even seen it. It would blow your mind if you saw world-class speed. Tell yes, me. The, tell, me. tell me. Football speed is functional speed. You're, you're quick for 10 yards because you do 10 series of 10-yard bursts. But you can't sustain that that top end speed for 60, 70 meters. And for instance, so I'll list a couple of world class guys. Willie Galt, James Jett, Ron Brown. I give Terry Kill, uh, James Trapp. Mm -hmm. James uh, Jett. James Jett, yep. Ooh, I'll yeah. even put an asterisk by Daryl Green during my day. Because Daryl ran AM. Daryl could run. Yeah, he can't run. Uh, Rocket Ishmael, remember him? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he can run. Yeah, everybody else is quick. Mm -hmm. But let me just let me just show you something. So for forty yards, right? For forty yards, in my best days, forty yards, I ran uh, four four forty over hurdles. Forty-two over yards. Stop it. Stop 40, 40 yards. Four-four over obstacles. Over obstacles. <laughs> Forty-two on. inch hurdles. Ronaldo. And I wasn't even the fastest guy out there. Ronaldo, are you fibbing to me? <laughs> no sir. No sir. <laughs> no sir. Ronaldo. Four-four no, over a hurdle. So you tell over me forty inch. Hold on. You by the way, are you telling me that these dudes that go to combine, these young punks, these young. Whippersnappers. Well, young whippersnappers. Young bloods. Right. Yes, right. in, in shorts, spandex, right. and a t-shirt and some cleats. Those guys are running 
flying down there, and you telling me you were gallivanting? Yes, sir. Ask Willie Gull. Willie Gull will vouch for it. He 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 was a victim of it right on his campus uh, at Tennessee. Uh, did you mm. say a victim? Yes. Mm. Sound like you put that smoke dog on. Yes, oh, you sure did. <laughs> hey, remember two years ago at the Super Bowl? Yes. When uh, Bolt ran, Hussein. Usain Bolt ran a forty, <laughs> right? Basically, mm. in his street clothes with some flats on, mm. and he ran four two. Some flippity flops. Yeah, he's just standing there with jeans on. That was easy work. Some and he ran four two. Some Jesus sandals. Yeah. On. You know, Chris, uh, uh, Christian Coleman. These guys can run 3-8, three, bro. 3-8? Three, three. Yeah, 3-8. They can fly. So when I tell people, if you want to really see world-class speed, come to attract me and watch these brothers and sisters mm. coming by you. They're picking them up and putting them down. And the difference is that track guys know how to run. Football mm. guys look like they're running fast because they got yes. so much energy going all over the place. So right? much force. So it, much force. It, wasted, mo wasted movement. M wasted. I remember, this is no lie, Joe I, Montana. I'm not saying nothing you saying is a lie. I just <laughs> Joe, like <right. laughs> Joe Montana and Bill Walsh had me run five to six yards farther on most every route because Joe said it always looked like I wasn't running. And when he threw the ball, I was gone. And I said, that's because I know how to run. Ooh. And when you know how to run, it's effortless. Mm. He was used to seeing all that arm motion and herky-jerky stuff. Yeah. And he just thought you were running fast. And he said, Skeeter, they call me Skeeter. He goes, man, it looks like you're just striding. And I throw the ball, and it's like four yards behind you. And I go, you you got to throw it sooner, man. You can't wait till I get past somebody. I'm going to get past them. If you wait, you can't reach me. You were outrunning Joe Montana's pass. Oh, yeah. So my 10 to 12 yard outs had to be 14 to 15. Oh, look you know, at you. my 18 to 20 yard digs had to be 24 yards. Hmm. Hey, you Cadillac, know? are you Cadillac turning it though? <laughs> <laughs> my body turn. Hey, because when you get going, see, I, yes. I ran a little track. When you get going, it's gone. You can't you stop. Can't come up out of that. You can't be pitter pattering, yeah. Mr. Drummer Boy. Yeah, you got a right. Cadillac turn. Yeah, you do I, because I, they called me Noodles because I remember my first year. I'd be running so fast, I'd like blow a tire out and fall. You know, that, and yep. in football, you got to have a wider base, right? And I was like, bruh, we don't run like that. We don't run wide leg. We run vertically. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, but you never, you can't turn like that because you're running too fast. You, you're that skateboard. Hit that rock. Hit that rock. So I had to learn how to run wider to be able to, you know, to, to control that speed because if I used my speed, it was too much. You know, mm -hmm. I just couldn't, you know, I don't you care can't, how good I was. Can't come out you can't of your break. You, you can't come out of your break. You yeah. can't come out of your break. And then that's how the, that's how the corner. He closes on you. But because you have to, and when you're running that fast, you have to have wasted movement. Yes. To be able to slow down. Because if you don't slow down and don't have that wasted movement, you know who. That's right. Makes, you know who makes you slow down? <laughs> it's three syllables. A. CL will make you slow down. That's right. You'll tear it up. Blow that tire. Blow that tire. Shit, they take you out the game yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a you cart. Can't, you can't put that kind of force uh -uh. on a cut. It's you gone. Can't. You'll leave you it right to. on the ground. So it was, so I had to, yeah, I had to slow down so much before I could ever do that, which was frustrating because I was so used to just taking off. And he goes, mm. You got too much power. You can't do that. You'll blow out everything. I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather. Cut to it. Cut to it. Let's get down to it.
Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. <laughs> I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Many athletes missed the opportunity to participate in Olympics this year, you've seen. Mm -hmm. You had the opportunity in 1980 Olympics in Moscow. You missed it. Take us through that process, and then I'll follow up after that, because I think it's extremely interesting the Olympics are only every four years and now now discovering there are 18 to, you know, 21 or something events, opportunities for track and field that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of thinking that I, I, I being ignorant, which is lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. didn't know that they had the opportunity other than what I've seen on the Diamond Club, you know, watching that on television. I didn't really right. know that it was so many more opportunities and no matter what level it is to run track. I just all assume, I assume that it just, it just practice four years. Yeah. Right? It just, they no. just practice it for this whole time. Yeah. No. Um, so first of all, I don't know if you knew this track and field has been professional since 1983. Hmm. It's been the whoa, whoa. worst, best known secret in the world. I remember before I came to the Niners, I was at the Superstars, and Dwight Clark was there. There was the year of the catch, and Chris Collinsworth was there. That They're the ones who had a conversation with me about playing football. And I remember Chris Collinsworth said to me, man, you seem like a bright guy. You got a lot of talent. Why are you wasting your time running track? You're not making any money. So I said, arrogantly, I said, Chris, how much money do you make playing football? He was making 60000 a year. And I said, I make more than you. And he goes, what? I go, I make more than you. 
my, my Puma contract was 125 K back then. Mm. And he's just looking at me. I said, I'm not as dumb as I look. I said, I don't just run around this oval for nothing. I do. I have sponsors. I get paid. And he's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, but everybody thinks we're a, a one in four year kind of sport. I said, no, I'm running all around the world. You know, I got all these. And he's like, wow, I didn't know that. So since 1983, the sport has been, been uh, professional and guys and some girls have making seven figures since mm-hmm. that time. Not everybody, only top, you know, yeah, 10%, but at least it was, it started to afford itself an avenue. 1980 comes, man, and I'm pissed because they're talking about this boycott and I've been busting my hump and my only chance for, you know, Wheaties boxes and Sports Illustrated covers and potential sponsorship revenue is going to be in Olympic Games. And now Jimmy Carter is threatening to boycott. So I'm training because hoping that we'll still go you got to go to olympic trials because if they don't boycott and you don't go to olympic trials you're not on the team no matter what so i'm training in vain and why is the olympic trials important gotcha. because if they lift the boycott mm-hmm. and you don't go to olympic trials you're not on the team mm. so olympic trials will take the top three so i'm thinking to myself just like you're saying why are we having olympic trials if we're boycotting so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe we're having the trials in case the boycott is lifted in time to go to, that we have field of the team. So I said, okay, I'm going to be ready. On top of that, add insult to injury. Remember the miracle on ice? Yes. Mike Rizzioni and these guys? Mm-hmm. That happened the winter of 1980. So I'm sitting up there going, they let the winter Olympians go. Maybe we're going to get to go. <laughs> they ain't let us go. Uh-huh. Well, well, what do most uh, Winter Olympians look like? Hmm. And what do most Summer Olympians look like? <laughs> that's, all, that's all I was thinking about. I'm like, Difference this ain't even right. Me. Yeah, I'm like, this ain't even right. I know the sun ain't shining out brightly in the wintertime, but God, dog, this is blatant. You let them go, but don't let us go. So now I'm just, I'm just distraught. I want, you know, I want nothing else to do. And then I already know that the Soviet bloc and the Eastern bloc countries are talking about retaliating in 1984 when the Olympic Games have been awarded to Los Angeles. So here I am thinking, God dog it, I might be training another four years for nothing if there's another boycott. So I'm like, I, I, I can't, you know, I got to do something. So I always tell everybody the 49ers saved my athletic career at that point because in 1982, track was not pro. The money that I was earning, I had to have in a trust fund. That was the other obstacle I had to go through. So all that money I talked about with Puma and all that, it had to be put in a trust fund. I had, had, I had to have my bank trustee okay receipts, whether it was my apartment bills or whatever it was, car notes or whatever, to advance me the money to pay those. I couldn't just take the $125,000. Mm-hmm. So that was being regulated and monitored. Um, and so when the Niners came about and then Bill Walsh being a fan, track fan, knowing that if I sign a pro football contract based on the rules, they're going to ban me from track. So Bill Walsh did me a favor by guaranteeing me my entire contract. Mm. That way he said, and he said it bluntly, he says, listen, I want you to do well, but if in case it doesn't work out here, you'll have some time to get on your feet and find a job. Mm. And so I, I appreciate it him respecting what I was giving up to play the game in case it didn't work out. And so he guaranteed my entire contract 
And so that's, that saved my athletic career at that time because I had just graduated the University of Maryland in 1981. And what does most college graduates want? A job. Yeah. I wasn't trying to retire. I was only 21, 22 years old at the time. But, you know, there was no real future ahead of me in track and field professionally at that time as I knew it. So now I had a chance to play professional football. Remember, I grew up playing football. I love football. I said, okay, I can still be an athlete now and still, you know, do what I want to do. And so the minute I signed, they banned me from track and field. And those assholes within a year decided to make the pro sport, the pro, the sport pro. And then, then they blocked me out and I had to go to court for four years fighting them in court to get my reinstatement. So, it was, so that, that was the delay in you getting back into your career it wasn't necessarily the football. It was the fact that they, they blocked you from participating. Yeah. Because I trained every off season. I was ready to go back in, you know, the, the summer of 82, like in the off season, I was going to run if I could. And, uh, but I couldn't cause I was banned at that time. So it was in 1986 when the, at that time, the IAAF international athletic association came to me and said, if you drop your lawsuit, we'll let you back in. And I was like, it's that simple. It's going to cost me several hundred thousands of dollars all this time. And all you want me to do is drop the lawsuit. Well, they wanted me to drop it because now it was costing them money. And the money I was making from the Niners was helping me fund the lawsuit. So, so you played with the Niners, then you returned back to track. How was that transition in, in terms of preparing your body, taking a, a, a different type of um, uh, wear and tear on your body? How was that transition going back to track? It wasn't a good transition because I had to gain 22 pounds to play with the Niners. Remember, uh, Steve knows this, the Niners were a possession passing team yeah, they when were. I was with them. So everything was 10 and 12 yards. You know, I was the experiment as far as the long ball. And I came into the Niners. I weighed 169 pounds soaking wet. Mm. And Bill Wall said, you can't play less than 185 pounds. I'm like, what? So I had to get out of shape to gain that weight. Because, you know, Steve, 20, 25 pounds in pads and camp and all that, you're not going to keep any weight on. No. So I had to be with a nutritionist weekly looking at my, my weight, my diet, eating all this crap. And, you know, I got up to 185 to 194, but I lost a lot of my innate quickness. Hmm. Most people didn't see it, but I knew it. Um, and, yeah, it, it reshaped my body. And in my first race back in 1986 in Via Reggio, Italy, I ruptured my Achilles tendon mm -hmm. because I had too much weight running, you know, all that force in the back of the heel. And like the six to seven hurdles. Now I won the race. Believe this, I ran thirteen forty eight, mm. and I won the race. I limped across the line, and I didn't run again. That was it, one and done. And I had all this money, twenty plus thousand dollars a race, waiting for me, and I couldn't. I couldn't collect past one race. I was sick. When you were running, it was still considered a very isolated sport for the individual runner. How did you cope with performing good and bad mm -hmm. and then ha only really having to go back to your room and it was just you? Like, how did you process that alone time, the disappointment, the, yeah, the, such a, the such high, individualized Yeah, sport. the highs and lows. Like, I guess, how was your mental health 
in the to, in the performance, good or bad, of each event. Right. Being across the world by yourself, from your family, from your wife, from your friends, from you know, just it's just you. Right. So <laughs> this made me chuckle. Now I got ready to say that. I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, the line. I don't mean to brag. I don't mean to boast. I didn't lose that much. You know, that often, maybe three, four times total. Mm-hmm. So, but my training at home, I train to break world records. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was breaking world records in practice and I did it enough times that we were, I was trained in condition. I was like a robot, I guess, trained in condition. And all I had to do was run practice and I was okay. Meaning that if I could run 13 flat or better in practice, and at that time, no one in the world could run that but me, then ain't too many people going to be at the finish line at that time but me. So short of me making a mistake, the closest they would be to me, probably the first three hurdles, four hurdles, and then I would start to separate myself. The times that I did lose, it wasn't so much that someone was better than me. It's that I was cocky enough that I wasn't training. And I was doing a Dwayne Haskins back in that day, relatively speaking, not not clubs, hooking up with the college girls, you know, and having fun and just thinking I'm okay. And then I get there and some, you know, Greg Foster is on his A game and then I make a mistake and then Greg, you know, beats me off the last two hurdles. Um, So what I would do when I did lose, it wasn't a very comfortable time. I wasn't fun to be around. I wasn't, I wasn't out at the club that night. I wasn't hanging out with the guys. I would be pissed. I mean, pissed. I took it personally and um, I couldn't wait to get back on the track to, to correct the error. So I get on the phone, I call my coach because, you know, we didn't bring coaches over, mm-hmm. you know, they sent us on our way and you had to do it yourself. And I call my coach and I talk to him. And one of the things that, that I was trained to do was I had to be aware of what I was doing over every hurdle because my coach would always ask me when a mistake happened, where did it happen? And if I was not in touch with what I was doing, he always said that then you can't make a correction at some point in the race if you're oblivious to what you're doing. Yes, you got to run fast, but you got to be aware of what's happening so that you can make the adjustment when it happens. You know, so or I'd run a race and my coach would see it and he goes, So tell me what happened over number three or number five. And I better know what I, you know, what happened. Otherwise, he's gonna say, You don't even know what you're doing, you're just out there running. You have to have complete control of the race. You make a mistake over the second hurdle. When can you correct it? The fourth hurdle. Why? Third hurdle is too fast. It's a second or less. You can't, we can't respond that quickly. You can only respond by the two hurdles later. So we learn how to make those adjustments so that, because most people, if they make a mistake, they try to make an adjustment right now, and then they make another mistake. So we, we learn, okay, that was a mistake. Okay, you get to the hurdle, now correct it. So he wanted me conscious and cognizant of what I was doing at all times. So I go back, I get on the phone to him and I could tell him exactly what happened. If, if someone, if it was on ABC Wild World of Sports, he'd wait till it came on that weekend and he'd match it up to what I was saying. And then, you know, we try to make that correction. But most of the time, Steve, it was because of my own arrogance. You know, I just thought I could just show up and these guys are gonna fold like a tent. And then every now and then some guy would run pretty well. And then I'd make a, an untimely mistake. Wasn't that they could beat me, but they beat me on that day. Ronaldo, the, uh, 
the last segment we have is called the deep three and it's three questions to go beyond who you were as a track star beyond who you were on the track or even on the football field so smitty go ahead and give them the first question of the deep three with all the wonderful things that you've been able to do travel all all around the world um now being an agent to some of the world's best track uh athletes men and women uh, having a wonderful wife and 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 your girls, uh, one of them being a surgeon, are there any regrets that you have that you, when you look back on your life? I have, yes, yes, in all honesty. I have one regret is that I never had a chance to really see what my full potential could have been in the hurdle race. And I only say that because I'm reminded constantly of you know, with the world record today being broken and before all the advanced technology that, you know, the lighter hurdles, the faster tracks that I didn't have to run on. Had things been different, the world could have gotten to see what I really could have done in that hurdle race because I ran 1293, you know, as a, uh, as a 22 year old, I never even, the world never saw me in my prime. And I just wish that, you know, if it weren't for boycotts and other things, um, the world, you know, I could, even I could have really challenged to see what I could have done. I honestly believe, and most people agree with me that I probably would have run 12, seven something based on all the things that are out there. Today. Move it right there. But yeah, so that's my only, you know, regret. It's not something that, you know, you can't change time, but the circumstances of the time, I would still do the same thing. I would still go on to play pro football because it gave me a chance to continue to be a professional athlete and get paid as opposed to not getting paid. But I think, you know, had the sport turned pro, you know, two years before I went to the Niners, I would have never played professional football. But I don't regret that because I have a Super Bowl ring. I caught touchdown passes from Joe Montana. I have some great lifelong friends from the 49ers. And uh, so, and so it's, it's, it's a part of me that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, however, however long or short some might, you know, see it. Are there any milestones personally or professionally that are still on your bucket list to achieve? Milestones. No, and I'll, uh, I'll say this, you know, for the record, for the second time that outside of my family, I, I went to the University of Maryland because they offered me an athletic scholarship. And my ninth grade track coach said, you know, if you train hard enough, you might get a, uh, earn an athletic scholarship to go to college. All that was important to me at that time was trying to make my parents proud by going to school to get an education. I didn't know that track was even a pro sport because it wasn't at the time or would ever be a pro sport. And I wasn't pursuing professional football. You know, I didn't have aspirations at that time. I, I love football, but I never saw myself that way. So, um, no, the, I'm grateful that a ninth grade math teacher saw something in me before I did that sparked whatever was inside of me to, to be able to tell the story today. I've heard this. Well, no, you don't know, but here on Cut To It, I talk about, you know, I, I've started running and I've experienced a lot of, uh, I have a treadmill and this treadmill has taught me a lot 
about life more than I realized. And hmm. uh, on one of these, on one of the, uh, I have a Peloton treadmill, so the guys talk. And I love my guys, Peloton bike. Yes. Amen. So I, I was running and a guy said in training, he said, you're going to hit mountains. Mm-hmm. But he said this, which I've never heard and I've been holding on to it, troughs. Okay. So you've been to the mountaintop. But what has been some troughs that you've hit that none of the mountaintop experiences has been able to teach you the way that the trough experience has? The trough was that I learned when I, in my, my second marriage, which was when I was coming back and I, I wasn't number one in the world anymore. You know, I got up to number two, but I wasn't number one. One of my greatest fears slash insecurities was, would people still like me if I wasn't winning? And I remember my wife said, I will still love you. And so that took away that trough that you're speaking of where it took away everything. It was those simple things that from the mouth of someone who really didn't even know the professional athletic world, all that mattered to her is that, you know, she would still love me and I wasn't going to die if I didn't win a race and I would still be loved. And I held on to that. You know, because that meant more to me than anything at that particular time, you know, not getting ahead of myself thinking I was, you know, the great Ronaldo in the MIR world record holder. It didn't matter at that point. It meant that when I came home, my peace of mind was that I was in a loving environment. And that's all that ever mattered to me because, um, Steve, I never, I never had to watch TV or even read papers about what I did because I lived it. And so when people were talking about, did you see this, did you see that? I'd say, no. And they go, you didn't see what they wrote? It was a great article. And I said, it didn't get, it could never get better than being there when it happened. And they're like, what? I said, I lived every second of it. I was in it. And so when the race was over and the euphoria died down, I wanted to get back to normal as quickly as possible. As much as I understood my feats were garnering attention, I was most comfortable with regular folk. My friends, I have friends that are, you know, former professional athletes, but my key nucleus of friends, just regular folk, regular job people, you know, because they kept me grounded. They weren't me. And I didn't think I was anything special. Yes, I did something on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, but I wasn't any better than any of them. So they helped keep me grounded and kept me, keep me in touch with reality, what the world was. And so my few seconds of fame, that's all they were to me. You know, I lived it, I benefited from them, but bruh, I just always wanted to keep my feet on the ground because everybody didn't have that experience. And so I never wanted to elevate myself like I was above them or better than them. You know, I was one of them, you know, it's like, you know, your boys, they were my boys and they were always going to be my boys. And it didn't matter that I happened to be a world record holder or a 49er at the time. I was still skeets to them. And uh, so that's, that's something I've always held on to. It's like, and I, and I get embarrassed when people start 
propping me up that you did this and you did that because I don't like people talking about me for an extended period of time. I have friends with me and they're not saying anything to them. And I'm like, oh man, I feel for them because somebody's acting like they're invisible. So I, you know, I always push the conversation away and talk about something else because I already lived it. You know, I don't need, you know, I don't need the extra attention anymore. I'm, I'm thankful for what I did. I'm blessed by what I've done. I hope that I left my mark on many people, not so much the game itself, but how I played it. And, um, and now all I'm trying to do right now is, is pay it forward, have needs to get to understand that. Yeah. You know, you've been given a lot today and, Make it make it count because when it's over, there's no redos. Well, Ronaldo, it's been an honor and a privilege. Uh, Likewise, my friend. It's an honor, brother. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. That is me is a production of Cut To It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson, and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter, with production assistance by Alex Labreck, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. Theme music by Alex Johnson, lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work 
in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.